If it ain't helping the people, it's helping someone else. We're in a zero-sum game. We have a fixed amount of dollars and on, on an annual basis. So I want to ensure that we continue to spend them on the people and on the best ways to deliver services to the people. Hey, friend. It's David Abinsky here in New York City. So excited for this conversation with Marcus Goodwin. Marcus and I used to work together, and it's just been incredible watching his journey since then. Um, he's currently running for D.C. Council as an outlarge candidate with the election this November 2020. In this episode, you will learn the details of running a campaign, the similarities of running a campaign to being a founder, skill sets needed to run a campaign, and also the community building efforts that are required to build momentum with your campaign. I apologize for the audio quality not being as good as it is in prior episodes. This is all my fault. As always, this episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There, you can also subscribe to my newsletter called One Email Away. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Here we go with Marcus. Marcus Goodwin, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be on. It's uh, such a treat to reconnect uh, with my friend and it's been inspiring to watch the journey and uh, it's just uh, lucky to chat here. I know it's a really busy time. And so DC Council, November 3rd. Yeah, I'm excited. We have an upcoming election. It's the same date as the national election. Uh, I'm a general election candidate here in Washington, DC, focusing on building a stronger, more equitable economy as we come out of COVID. So look forward to talking more and more in depth. Yeah. And uh, maybe walk me through, I have not run for, for office. Maybe maybe talk to us a little bit about kind of like what's the day-to-day and there's probably a million different decisions and a million different things to work on, but how do you, what does the, kind of the day-to-day look like? Up early, getting a run in, making sure that I get a consistent sweat so that I'm releasing just the energy, the ideas, and keeping a solid fitness regimen that um, will keep me focused for the day ahead. And really by 9 a.m., I'm on the clock and should be in the office uh, talking to the team, finding what ideas we're going to be sharing, uh, digging into the news of the day. And before 10, I need to be on calls. Um, I need to be talking to people who know what's going on in the city, the issues that need to be addressed, finding pragmatic solutions to them, and frankly, raising money because it takes a lot of resources to communicate to a universe of 300,000 people. And that's how many voters I have to appeal to. Um, And I don't know if you know this, but I'm in a field of 24 candidates uh, where a lot of people have raised a lot of money through a public matching program. Uh, I can explain more detail about that, but uh, it's going to be hyper competitive. Okay. And so this is your previously ran before, uh, maybe talk to us a little bit about what that transition periods look like. I usually talk about transition periods for on a professional level of leaving this job and then, you know, uh, learn this new skill. And then I decided I wanted to do this, but uh, maybe talk to us a little bit about kind of what that transition period has been from 2018 to, to now. Well, can I take it back to 1989? Please. Uh, Well, yeah, I'll just say that I'm an 89 baby, uh, born and raised in Washington, D.C., the fifth of eight children in my family, and growing up with a single mother who came to the United States from Senegal, who's a DCPS teacher, I really learned and saw the value of having a focus on education, 
getting support from the district, getting support from our community to ensure that we had a nurturing and enriching environment to grow up in. Um, so I know that as a public servant, it's critically important that we focus our investments in housing, education, and economic development to transform communities for our working class families, for the young boys and girls who grew up like I grew up, who need the most help, and who can in turn come back and be someone who's very productive in society, a great contributor, um, and we can uphold the true uh, promises that we make that every single person has the ability to achieve their highest goals and their highest dreams. However, that opportunity hasn't been there for everyone. Um, that's why I'm stepping up to be a leader who can really fulfill that promise. Um, we've seen in the past 20 years, gentrification really wipe away a demographic third of the city. And a predominant amount of that third has been the African-American community. So I wanna see and ensure that going forward, we have a moral backbone to our investments that ensures that natives and people who move here can stay here and aren't consistently or systematically priced out. Um, that was the drive and charge that I wanted to make a city that was more affordable, that was more livable in 2018. Uh, while I was unsuccessful in running for council, running against a long-term incumbent who was very strong and very well regarded, I have since turned around and uh, I became president of the DC Young Democrats in the district. I was endorsed by the Washington Post to be a member of the council in 2018. And I've risen in leadership roles with DC's Democratic State Committee in a way that I've really taken the reins of my policy agenda and ideas and spread them as someone who's young. Uh, I just turned 31 last Friday. Um, and now I'm excited to keep charging forward, driven and focused on ensuring that we can make change for our working class families who have been disproportionately impacted by COVID. Um, and that brings us to where we are today. And um, while I ran against a long-term incumbent two years ago, or two and a half years ago at this point in the Democratic primary, I'm re now running in a general election with 24 candidates for two seats. So um, I really have to uh, galvanize all the support I got before, uh, continue to learn from all the experiences I had before and uh, positively channel them for a successful endeavor and effort this time around. And so in between, uh, you also were working in, in, in real estate and uh, I know that that's you know, a big part of the platform and stuff is, uh, and I think it's interesting from a, like a portfolio career perspective where I talk about is like utilizing existing skills and, and uh, as people transition and you're using that as a way to, uh, as part of your platform and what you wanna improve and advocate for and stuff like that. Absolutely, as you said, since 2013, I've been working in commercial building. Uh, that's for affordable units, that's for market rate units, uh, that's for commercial spaces. Uh, I've worked on food businesses, ensuring that underserved communities where there are food deserts have the opportunity and access to both local and national food vendors in their community, um, and building community benefits agreements, ensuring that developers arrive at very workable solutions with their community or civic associations who really need that expertise and help at the table to arrive at a mutually convenient solution that takes the maximum amount out of the development pot and puts it in the community pot of resources uh, with community guidance on how that money is spent. 
So I'm really excited. It's been a phenomenal experience thus far, just applying my skills because let's be frank, people who run for public office are lobbyists, they're lawyers, they work for other elected officials or they're lifelong government workers. It's very rare to see someone from the private sector come into government. And DC is a pretty progressive city, very far left. Um, but I think there's a profound appreciation for someone who knows the numbers. In fact, uh, before this current mayor, the last two-term mayor, Tony Williams, was a numbers guy. He came in as the city's CFO and transitioned effectively to becoming the mayor in 1998 because the city was in a state of financial duress. So it was critically important for him to express his thoughts um, that the city needed financial savvy, not just community activists. Uh, and I really stand as a new generation recreating that kind of thinking. So I'm excited to bring those kinds of ideas to the table. Mm -hmm. And so what, what, what's it like when you uh, made that decision to uh, rerun for, for this upcoming, uh, is that a, how, how did you make that decision? And, uh, you know, did you look at the numbers or, or walk, walk us through some of that? Yeah, I mean, two big things. One, there is still a hunger and a desire to serve the people and there is still a need that's so dire. Um, I'm running for a seat that's being vacated by an incumbent. So there's no incumbent in the seat. People are really gonna get a fair and open opportunity to look at what kind of new leadership they want in the city. And to be frank, my top contenders are career politicos and lobbyists. So I really stand apart as someone who's different. And I know that people appreciate that. And that's the kind of messaging that we've put out because my slogan is putting people over politics, putting individuals over institutions. We've seen so many people come to the table, they're backed by 10 organizations, and they all argue for the same thing. But they're effectively putting the same person in those seats. So it's no surprise that our median net worth gap between black and white residents is eight times larger than the national gap. The national gap is 10 to one. The DC gap is 81 to one. It is unbelievable and unacceptable that we have such a large wealth gap in the city and our educational attainment gap is wider than the national average here in our district public schools. And for a town of 69 square miles, we should be able to do a lot better than that. So the fact that the problems are still here, I've built a lot of momentum. Again, I was endorsed by the Washington Post. I know that I stand a really good chance this time around and that was part of the decision-making process. And, uh, and, and it's interesting of this idea around, um, from a professional perspective, having a backbone in real estate development and stuff like, you know, you're taking a huge shot, you're going for this. And, and just like in the prior one, worst case scenario, come back to being a real estate developer, investor, and uh, building affordable housing and stuff like that. So it's, it's an interesting perspective to say, I'm going to take this chance, worst, case, worst comes to worst, I can go back to this the job and the works and stuff that I've done before. You know, to be frank, we're manifesting the win. So we're focusing on the win lane. Um, and certainly, I think a lot of politicos consider what is the downside protection. Um, and, you know, I'm not going destitute, um, although I've committed a lot of my personal resources to uh, support my campaign. However, I've gotten over 1,500 contributions. Um, so 
of the 24 candidates, that's the second most. So I've really been on the phone and on the grind and asking of everyone in my community, everyone in my sphere to dig in, to give in, to be a part of this successful effort. Um, so I want to continue to push because I know that it's critically important for all of my friends to send an email to their friends, to text their friends, to call their friends. Uh, we say around early voting and election day, arrive with five. You better get five people to vote for you the day that you vote. You should know at least five people in the district who are going to vote when you vote. Um, and, you know, if we have voter turnout uh, in the mid-60s, and that's probably where we're going to end up, uh, of the number of eligible voters in the city, you should be able to find and drag five people to the polls with you. And, you know, effectively, our win number becomes one-fifth of our real win number if we can get people to get five unique people to vote with them. So we are uh, really driven and excited about creating that level of engagement with people in communities so that now they have a reason, now they have a purpose, now they have a job, now they have a duty, arrive with five. And you know what they say, right? It's the, you're the average of the five people you hang out with the most. So if they're not voting, they're not counting. <laughs> and, you know, I always say that you got to have a seat at the table or you're probably on the menu. And that's really the case when it comes to local politics, especially in D.C. The way our local government set up is we have a mayor who's effectively our governor if we were a state. And then we have 13 council members. They're effectively the city, state and county government all in one. So they do the introduction of laws, pass through committee to the final signing of laws to be passed to the mayor to be approved at the end of the year by the U.S. Congress. Um, so it's the most streamlined mode of government in the United States, like bar none. Um, so there's a lot of power in these seats. 13 council members who decide all our laws. Um, I like the structure. You know, I think it really creates a high level of transparency, accountability, and familiarity with the people that are making all the decisions and, um, you know, really holding people to a very high bar. So either you have a seat at the table or you're on the menu? That's the way it is. Uh, we are in a daily fight for scarce resources. If you want to fund, you know, a library renovation, that's a direct dollar takeaway from other priorities. And again, our motto is people over politics. So I'm going to look at what's best for the people when it comes to laws and regulation and when it comes to budget priorities. If it ain't helping the people, it's helping someone else. We're in a zero-sum game. We have a fixed amount of dollars and on, on an annual basis. So I want to ensure that we continue to spend them on the people and on the best ways to deliver services to the people. And, and so you said... Uh... Uh, so you took a sabbatical to, to go full-time into the campaign? Yeah. So since April, I've been fully on the campaign. I've got a campaign manager. We're in our office right now, and we're in 9 and 9. I mean, I think yesterday I was – I didn't finish till 1030. Um, and then I, of course, have to go home and then wrap up whatever I'm doing at home. So it's always a hustle. It's always a, a big effort. But I think we've done a good job, and I'm excited that – we're continuing to push and have made a lot of effective strides. And, and what was that uh, in March, March and April, you said, talk to, talk to your boss at the time and said, hey, um, I'm running again. And, and the answer or the conversation was- No, like, it was actually, in, it was in January. It was like, hey, uh, 
the incumbent isn't running again. There's a wide open race. I, if I jump in, would be one of the front running candidates. Uh, I've got a lot of people behind me supporting me who think I've got a good chance. What do you think? And he was like, hey, man, if you can win, go do it. So he was really helpful, really supportive. Uh, you know, COVID had taken hold. We'd gone virtual with our work. So it was a good time to decelerate and jump in. And frankly, all of our projects had moved from the pre-development stage and the financing stage to construction around March anyway. So uh, it was really more time for construction managers to step up than development managers and deal structurers, which, you know, that's kind of the universe that I'm in. Uh, but it had moved to the point that you want the people that are construction folk to be digging into the budgets every day, value engineering it, finding out what costs to cut out, what costs to lower, where you can find more space. Um, so I stepped away from the work and I've just been 100% in the world of politics. And, uh, and I'm really happy that I have because it's taken every ounce and fiber of my soul to get us to this point. And uh, it's uh, a lot of the work, it's, uh, as you mentioned too, it's about building the community and getting out there and, uh, you know, how, and you've been doing this for years, but maybe walk us through some of the ideas around you know, how, how do you build a community? How do you uh, gain a following? How do you build momentum? Uh, I think there's similarities from that as it is for running a company, as it is for running an independent business, et cetera. So I'd be curious to hear some of your thoughts on that. So talking about structure of a campaign. Yeah. Ooh. Well, there's always the candidate. And in my case, uh, I'm a believer and people have divergent opinions that the candidate should know everything about the campaign, should know everyone about the campaign, everyone's abilities, um, and should be in contact and have interface with everything and everyone and really shouldn't just leave things to chance, which uh, I've seen be a very big problem for a lot of candidates and campaigns. So in my experience, uh, it's good to have two primary staffers that are like the key and critical parts. One is your campaign manager. Your campaign manager should be able to do and know and say and think about everything that you need to do, know, say, and think. But the campaign manager is the executor, uh, whereas the candidate is the visionary and the actor and um, saying the things that you work collaboratively to workshop together. Um, there is the field organizer, critically important getting literature out there, knocking on doors, putting signs up around town, ensuring the visibility is on point. is just like, just the top priority for retail politics, especially on the scale of, you know, while I do need, you know, on the order of mid five figures in terms of number of votes, uh, if I touch people and I meet them, like the closing rate is astronomically higher than if they just see a sign or they see a mail in their mailbox or, you know, they just hear or read about something in the press. It's all about the hard touches. And that's how you really close on people uh, in a profound way. So um, beyond that, got to have a committee. You got to have the seniors, the people that are smarter, that have been around forever advising you and speaking to you on a regular basis. These people can make the high level introductions because they've been around for a long time and they command a lot of respect and importance in their communities and uh, around your district. Um, then you have your team. That's all your volunteers, the people that are engaging on an active basis. Um, and 
I've met maybe this campaign, 60% of my team. Uh, I've got people volunteering three, four days a week. I've never seen them in person. And that's kind of like the nature of COVID, you know, people are in Zooms, you know, sitting as close as you and I are right now, but being just as effective as they could have before. So that's a really cool thing. Um, beyond that, uh, because of the way DC is shaped, we have geographic distributions of team members as well. Uh, and then we have people who help with the fundraising. Interesting. So, so, uh, so you mentioned a lot about it's, it's about impact, right? It's getting out and having that one conversation with that one person and changing a perspective. Yeah. I mean, you know, you and I have a strong bond and a friendship, not because we dap each other up every day, but because we've had those kinds of experiences and, you know, we played pickup basketball in San Francisco and the hate, you know, like there are like real experiences that I can point to and say that David Nabinsky is a good guy. He's a thorough thinker. Uh, he's trustworthy. And when faced with a difficult decision or a difficult to process circumstance, I will trust that he'll probably make a great decision and I'll be proud of anything he does and I'll go to bat for him. From a Zoom, it's hard to build that level of trust. Uh, but if someone's walking through your neighborhood and knocks on your door and has a conversation and you feel their energy in a real way, you can make that determination. So uh, we certainly don't overlook the retail politics of it. And I think I'm decent, decently personable. So I'm accepting of the challenge of having to still wear a mask, wear gloves, but have a verbal conversation with people in person. Was there any, uh, and thanks for the kind words, uh, was there any other type of like training or, uh, you know, I think uh, with careers and stuff, it's like, okay, I'm going go get an MBA and then I'm, I'm going to go learn and do this. Is there any kind of learning and development or training at all that uh, you did for, for this, this campaign? The biggest thing is to work for another candidate, find a candidate whose values you think align with yours and get out there work a poll, volunteer to canvas a neighborhood, phone bank, text bank, uh, show up at candidate forums, like start to pick off the full panoply of different facets of a campaign and see and know and understand what goes into it uh, because that's really what it takes to be a good candidate. And, you know, I would say my first campaign, you know, I didn't have all the skills. It's like, what does it take to play basketball at the NBA level? You know, you got to be, uh, depending on what position you're in and, you know, what level you're playing at, you got to be able to dribble, you got to be able to pass, you got to be able to shoot from all different spots around the floor. You got to be able to switch positions and slightly alter your game. You got to learn the pick and roll. You got to learn, you know, how to collaboratively understand the play of other people. It's like, you need to have 20 different things to be great. And the greats all have those 20 things or at least are excellent in a few of them and then competent in the rest. Um, and campaigning is like that, you know, the best candidates are like mind-blowingly charismatic and articulate and able to process circumstances really well and graceful when they meet people in the streets and uh, graceful in an interview when they get hit with a hard question and, you know, those are the people that go the farthest and it's just no surprise. The people that don't go as far are, you know, maybe lacking in a couple of the key core areas 
but you know, some people get lucky. There's always the there's always the Mr. Magoos that slip through the cracks and stumble their way into <laughs> successful or uh, powerful positions. But by and large, I'd say people are pretty skilled and intelligent. And it's also interesting how you said about this idea of like shadow mentorship or doing all of the types of aspects of critically important and it's a very similar type of thing of you want this type of dream job or you want you want to start this type of company go do all of those things before you start to then do it yourself and so it's interesting to think about those translations and similarities to where you are yeah i think that that's the point you know the company i came from our ceo he could do everything at the company if he wanted to like if he were called to because he's done it at some point in his career you know he can do acquisitions he can do disposition. He can do uh, what the secretary does. He can do what the COO does. He can do what the accountant does. He can do what the architect does. He could, but if you're going to be successful, you have to know and understand the detailed level of work that needs to be done and effectively delegate and oversee that that work is done the way that it should be done according to your vision. And that's really the position you're in as a candidate. You have to see, know, and understand your vision what your values are, and then you got to find the team to execute on it uh, and ensure that on a regular basis, you're overseeing their work and know that your field organizer is doing their job, campaign manager is doing their job, volunteers are doing their job. You know, I've got a big text group with like just my text bankers and my phone bankers. And when there's a question they don't know the answer to, they shoot me a text and I got to be able to answer every question. There's just not a question I can't have a good answer to. Um, so I'm every day just looking at my phone and, you know, I get like 12 questions from a text bank. Like, hey, this person asked, you know, what your background is, uh, what neighborhood you live in, you know, what do you think of this bill and uh, how would you reallocate resources to fill our budget gap? And, you know, you got to have all those parts of your game, the crossover, you know, the pick and roll, and, you know, setting up a screen. It's just you got to be very diverse and. I think that's applicable to any company. Like CEO should be able to do everyone's job, but do no one's job because he should oversee and ensure that there's a structure in place that they're well-resourced and well-capable of doing their job. Amazing. Okay. Uh, well, Marcus, as we mentioned, your time is super precious. <laughs> um, and uh, is there anything else that you think that we missed? I know this is a little bit of a, a, a different type of, um, different type of conversation here, but anything else that you think that we missed kind of professionally or anything else that's kind of popped up that you think might be useful for the people that are out there that are looking to get involved, looking to, you know, fulfill their purpose, looking to level up, anything else that comes to mind? Yeah, I'd say the biggest thing is leave it all on the field and know and judge correctly that you can leave it all on the field. Because if you could come in and you know, figure, oh, I can do my day job and do this other thing. Half Going halfway is going nowhere. Uh, and in fact, you're hurting yourself. So I'd say be ready and judge effectively if you can put it all in the field and 100% pour yourself into any goals that you have and uh, stretch yourself in any direction that you think really can effectively fulfill you. Um, and I know that serving communities and stepping up to the challenge of solving tough problems really fulfills me and I have a great capability and I'm uniquely qualified to step up to the challenge right now. So I ain't got no job. I ain't got no source of income, but 
I've saved enough that I'm good. So I'm in a good position that I got 150% of my energy and effort every day going into this campaign. So I'm ready to get back to it. And I hope other people are inspired to do the same. Absolutely. And uh, for people that want to learn more, support you in the campaign? Yeah. My website is goodwin4dc.com. And my social media is the same, at G-O-O-D-W-I-N-F-O-R-D-C. Happy to connect. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We do not have a TikTok. So don't think about that. Sounds good, Marcus. Thank you so much. Thank you, David. Hey, friend. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Portfolio Career Podcast. Wanted to also let you know about my monthly newsletter called One Email Away, where I fundamentally believe that we are all one email away from new opportunities. And if there's a way that I could potentially help you to connect with other people, I would love to do that. So one email away. Um, You can sign up for my newsletter on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. You can also see the one email away section. But just want to take this moment to say thank you for, for listening to this episode. Really excited for us to build and grow our portfolio careers together.